BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. You know, we are living in one of those moments of history that people read about. You know, you read about the the Black Plague in Europe and, you know, in the in the 1300s or 14th century. You read about the influenza pandemic in 1918. And here we are. It's just, it's just extraordinary. And yet, in some ways, this whole coronavirus thing is really highlighting. And I think for many, hopefully many voters, it's showing for the first time in a real way the consequences of Reaganism and neoliberalism and trickle-down economics and brutal the brutal kind of capitalism that we practice here in the United States as opposed to Europe. For example, let me just give you a couple of data points here. The Fed, since March 11th, now we're not talking about Congress here, I'm talking about the Fed. The Fed, since March 11th, has increased our money supply and distributed that money to basically big corporations by buying their you know, corporate bonds. The, the Fed has started buying stocks and bonds to support the stock market. And in particular, they're buying bonds of companies that are in trouble so that those companies you know, keep these companies going. They have done this to the tune of $2.26 trillion since March 11th. If you divide $2.26 trillion by 130 million American families, that's how many American families you know, have a member who is working full or part-time supporting the family. 130 million families. Basically, that's the number of families in the United States. We've got 330 million people, and, you know, families are typically two or three people. The average is two point something. So anyhow, you take, you take the 130 million households and you divide it into $2.26 trillion, and what you get is $17,380. In other words, if the Fed had simply said... Instead of injecting all this money at the top and giving it to J.P. Morgan Chase and IBM and General Motors, we're going to give this, or you know, companies affiliated with the with the Trump family, you know, the Trump Organization and whatnot. Instead, we're going to give this money to families in the United States and let them spend that money, even if they have to do it online. Let them spend that money in ways that stimulate our economy and help keep you know, things together. Let them use Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats and, and, and support their local restaurants. Just what the Fed did, $2.23 trillion since March 11th, that's like, you know, in, in it's a month and a half, would have been 17, over $17,000 for family in the United States. And then you've got this $2.2 trillion, which is very similar, that Congress authorized the so-called CARES Act. If all of that had gone to families, again, it would have been $17,000 for family. So we're talking a total of $34,000 per family in the United States in the last month and a half has been passed out to United Airlines and American Airlines and Carnival Cruise Lines that flags their ships in Panama and pays virtually no U.S. taxes to big donors to the Trump Organization, etc. I mean, virtually every 
developed country in the world right now is running an economic stimulus program for small businesses and in almost every single one of them. I told you about Australia last week. The week before last, we went into detail about how they're doing it in Norway and Denmark and Germany and France and Sweden. In virtually every single one of those, the government is giving money to corporations and the corporations have to use 100% of that money. So in some cases, there's an exception. They can use it for rent or some, you know, some small portion of it. But basically, 100% of that money has to go to workers, whether they're working or not, and especially if they're not working. That's every Western democracy in the world, from Australia to, to, to Germany. The United States, not so much. Here, some of the largest recipients of government aid are politically connected to either the Trump crime family or the Republican Party, or have massive lobbying operations, and most of the money is administered by banks. I think I pointed out last week that the banks have made billions of dollars in fees. They're taking up to 5% fees that the government is paying them to loan money to us that's guaranteed by the government for which they have no risk. So here we have, you know, all this money is being given to banks. The banks are giving it to who? They're giving it to their best customers, which is the biggest corporations. No other developed country in the world has the equivalent of the U.S. Supreme Court's Citizens United decision that makes corporations into people and lets corporations and rich people basically buy politicians. And therefore, we get headlines like in today's uh, Judd Legum's uh, popular.info newsletter. This was the headline in his newsletter today. Quote, multimillionaire Trump donor is recipient of funds intended for struggling small businesses. Surprised? I mean, that's how bad it is here. Meanwhile, New Zealand announced today that they have eliminated the virus in their country. We are 4.5% of the world's population. We have a quarter of the world's deaths. We're moving between a quarter and a third of the world's cases. And of course, we're not testing anything close to what we should be or could be. We may have twice that. Our Republican-controlled Supreme Court has succeeded in turning America into the most corrupt Western country in the world. And every time our Republican-controlled Senate meets, they throw another few hundred billion dollars to their rich buddies. I'm telling you, it is time for a political revolution. And then you look at the massive incompetence of this, of this whole thing. This administration of the Republican Party, just the whole thing. There is a, a new meeting put together by the World Health Organization. It's an ad hoc grouping of 20 world leaders and global health figures, including you know, the leaders of most of the world's major democracies and even a few who aren't, right? I mean, China is part of this. 20 world leaders, Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, Bill Gates showed up. And what they're doing is they're sharing information with each other. Here's our studies. Here's what we've learned. Here's what works here. Here's what we tried and it doesn't work. I mean, sharing information like in a really, even very confidential information that could help a country deal with this virus. You know, for example, this isn't, you know, an example that's coming out of this study, but for example, one of the things that they found in China was that people who were taking heartburn medication, specifically what we call Pepsid, were less likely to get a severe case of the coronavirus. It was anecdotal. It was a small study, but hey, you know, so, the, so now we've got a test, you know, a, a controlled trial of uh, a few hundred people where they're giving them IV pepsin, large doses. So what happens? You go on Amazon right now or any of the websites, you know, Walgreens, CVS, whatever, you can't buy pepsin. We give little bits of pepsin to our dog. We've got a dog who's an Aussie and they're high anxiety dogs. You know, I, I've got to herd the sheep. Where's the sheep? Oh my God, where are the sheep? I've got to herd the sheep. And he gets GERD. We can't get Pepsid now for our dogs. Well, you know, that's the kind of information that they're going to be sharing with each other at this meeting. And the United States knows about this because it was published in a medical journal. But you know who didn't show up for the meeting, who's not participating? The United States. Why? Because Donald Trump has decided he's going to blame his own stupid incompetence on the World Health Organization. 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. So how badly has Citizens United screwed America, and how many Americans are going to die because of it? Thank you, Supreme Court. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say, I mean, this is what happens when you have a faction controlling all of the communications, the political thinking. It is so out of sync with what the rest of the world is doing, what Americans would like, and a sensible critique is, I mean, to critique how you're doing uh, compared to Denmark, how you're doing compared to Norway, or how you're doing compared to the UK, or Australia, or Canada. But that is, like, it's talked about, but it isn't the mainstream, you know, it's just taken out of... We, we're not permitted to talk about it. I mean, for decades, I've uh, been frustrated about health care, frustrated about the economy. And this is just sensible, rational political economy. And, I mean, continue on. I, I, it's great that you're bringing this up to quite a few people. But I hope that somehow we can change this. And, yeah, Citizens United has to go. And they've turned us into Brazil or Argentina. We've become the biggest banana republic. And they don't care. And actually, they actually, I think, when it comes down to it, don't care whether you, I, or family, or whoever, just dies. You know, that's where they're at. This is the kind of people that now run this country. No, I get it, oh, John. Oh, I thought you, you know, I wrote up. Unequal Protection, a book about how the Supreme Court screwed America all the way back Under- to 1886. I wrote that book in 2000. Yes. 20 years ago. Go ahead. Yeah, and there used to be a little bit more oomph with critiquing that kind of thing. Back in 2000, like public radio used to actually do uh, very hard-hitting critiques of what the way we're doing things as compared to how we're doing things in Germany. Yeah, that was before they started but, uh, taking You know, it's, I mean, and it's not just in this country, but to the extent that it, 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 this is like the epitome of neoliberal ridiculousness or dystopian I mean, it, it goes beyond the pale. And now, you know, last week you had had uh, somebody on talking about traditionalism. So now we have to deal with this new ideology. And it's being funded by people like Sebastian Gorka and some of these aristoc- wealthy aristocrats. You know, I guess they're tired of uh, just being on the cover of Town and Country and Royalty Magazine. <laughs> and they want to, you know, actually, you know, bring back the divine right of kings. I mean, can you believe that? And there are people as long as they're the kings. Yes. And there are people in this country. And I come from uh, an orthodox background, but I would not want to see a czar raised again. It wasn't good for the church. It wasn't good in the end. It it really destroyed things. And how arrogant to think, oh, well, let's just turn back, (laughs) you know, centuries past to the 5th century or the 6th century or 1200. I mean, it's so beyond the pale. Yeah, I'm with you. John, well said. Thank you. It is uh, truly and sadly mind-boggling. Stick around. And uh, welcome to Tom Hartman University Book Club. And today we're reading from Unequal Protection, How Corporations Became People and How You Can Fight Back. This is Chapter 11. It's titled Corporate Control of Politics, page 170. During the bruising primary election season of 2008, a right-wing group put together a 90-minute hit job on Hillary Clinton and wanted to run it on TV stations in strategic states. Federal Election Commission ruled that the advertisements for the documentary were actually campaign ads and thus fell under the restrictions on campaign spending of the McCain-Feingold Act and thus stopped them from airing. Corporate contributions to campaigns have been repeatedly banned and in various ways since 1907, when Republican President Teddy Roosevelt pushed through the Tillman Act. Citizens United, the right-wing group, sued to the Supreme Court with right-wing hitman and former Reagan Solicitor General Ted Olson, the man who argued Bush's side of Bush v. Gore, as their lead lawyer. This new case, Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, 
presented the best opportunity for the Roberts court to use its five-vote majority to completely rewrite the face of American politics, rolling us back to the pre-1907 era of the robber barons. And if there was one man to do it, it was John Roberts. Although he was handsome with a nice smile and photogenic young children, Roberts was no friend to average working Americans. If anything, he was the most radical judicial activist appointed to the court in more than a century. He'd worked most of his life in the interest of the rich and powerful and was chomping at the bit for a chance to turn more of America over to his friends. As Jeffrey Tubin wrote in The New Yorker, quote, In every major case since he became the nation's 17th chief justice, Roberts has sided with the prosecution over the defendant, the state over the condemned, the executive branch over the legislative, and the corporate defendant over the individual plaintiff. Even more than Scalia, who has embodied judicial conservatism during a generation of service on the Supreme Court, Roberts has served the interests and reflected the values of the contemporary Republican Party. End of quote. And the fastest way the modern Republican Party could recover its power over the next decade was to immediately clear away all impediments to unrestrained corporate participation in electoral politics. If a corporation likes a politician, it can ensure that he is elected every time. If it becomes upset with a politician, it can carpet bomb her district and a, with a few million dollars worth of ads and politically destroy her. In the Citizens United case, the Roberts Court listened to arguments and took briefs and even discussed it among themselves as if they were going to make a decision. But instead of deciding the case on the relatively narrow grounds on which it had originally been argued, whether a single part of a single piece of legislation, in this case McCain-Feingold, was unconstitutional, the court asked for it to be re-argued in September 2009 and asked that the breadth of the arguments be expanded to re-examine the rationales for Congress to have any power to regulate so-called free speech by corporations. In this, they were going along with a request from Theodore B. Olson, who argued Bush v. Gore and would not now not just look at this narrow case, but go back nearly 20 years to re-examine, perhaps overturn their own ruling in the Austin v. Michigan Chamber of Commerce case, where the court held that it was constitutional for Congress to pass limits on corporate political activities, as well as its decision in 2003 to uphold McCain-Feingold as constitutional. The setup for this 2010 decision came in June of 2007 in the Federal Election Commission versus Wisconsin Right to Life case, in which the Robert Courts ruled that the FCC could not prevent Wisconsin Right to Life from running ads just because it was a corporation. The idea of Congress passing laws that limited corporate free speech was clearly horrifying to both Roberts and Scalia. Scalia went after the 1990 Austin v. Michigan Chamber of Commerce case, in which the then Rehnquist Court had ruled that the Michigan Chamber of Commerce was limited in its free speech in a political campaign because it was a corporation. Scalia complained, this Austin was the only pre-McConnell case that this court had ever permitted the government to restrict political speech based on the corporate identity of the speaker. Austin upheld state restrictions on corporate independent expenditures, and God forbid the statute had been modeled after the federal statute the BCRA 203 amended. End of quote. The Austin case Scalia concluded, with four others nodding, was a significant departure from ancient First Amendment principles. In my view, it was wrongly decided. Scalia was quoted at length from opinions in the Gross Gene v. American Press 1936 case. In Scalia's words, quote, holding that corporations are guaranteed the freedom of speech and of press, safeguarded by the due process of law clause of the 14th Amendment. He also quoted the 1986 Pacific Gas and Electric Company versus Public Utility Commission of California case, the identity of the speaker is not decisive in determining whether speech is protected. Corporations and other associations like individuals contribute to the discussion, debate, and the dissemination of information and ideas that the First Amendment seeks to foster. The bottom line for Scalia was, quote, the principle that such advocacy is at the heart of the First Amendment's protection and is indispensable to decision-making in a democracy is no less true because the speech comes from a corporation rather than an individual. The book, Unequal Protection, How Corporations Became People and How You Can Fight Back. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR 
into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Let me toss another question into the mix along with a, a little more news here. Do you think Donald Trump has a chance to win in November? It seems to me that with his, oh, you can just, you know, get some chewable bleach tablets. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that meme that's going around. It was at the top of Drudge for a while. and <sighs> Chewable Clorox, recommended by the president. It's, you know, there's, there's a growing consensus in Republican circles. This isn't just the media. This is among Republicans that Donald Trump has finally said something, done something that so completely displays what an idiot he is. And I mean that in the vulgar sense of the word, not the medical sense of the word. What a fool he is. What, a, what an ass he is. How uninformed he is. How unthoughtful he is. How inconsiderate he is. How he doesn't think before he speaks. How he doesn't understand things. This is why he's had six major bankruptcies. This is why he's not a rich guy. He's instead massively in debt. Because he's an idiot. He's stupid. I mean, literally stupid. But anyhow, the, 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 the growing thought in Republican circles is that his followers are starting to figure this out. I mean, look at the people who are showing up for the FreedomWorks things. You know, the FreedomWorks, the group that the Koch brothers helped fund and kick off. FreedomWorks has been, has been promoting these uh, reopen the country uh, protests all around the United States. And when you look at the pictures of the people who are showing up for these protests, it's not soccer moms and average people. It's out of shape white guys carrying AR-16, AR-15s and Confederate flags and swastikas. I mean, that's about all he's got left is people who are a little less smart than Donald Trump. Which, when you think about it, is pretty amazing. I mean, really amazing. So, Apropos of that, I mean, you know, Donald Trump is rapidly becoming Herbert Hoover, the, the president who in the 1920s ignored the Great Depression until the very last year when he created the Reconstruction, the National Reconstruction Administration was, uh, as I recall, what Herbert Hoover created in 1932. And, and it continued. I mean, you know, it, it carried on for a while. 
And by the way, let me just a digression here. Yesterday, Louise and I discovered on HBO, we, uh, we get HBO through our uh, Amazon Prime subscription. I mean, you have to pay for it, but we got it. This incredible new series. We were up until 10 o'clock last night, which is really late for us because we couldn't stop watching it. There's only six episodes up. We watched all six up yesterday afternoon. It's called The Plot Against America. And it's a story of what might have happened if in 1940, instead of Franklin Roosevelt being elected president, Charles Lindbergh was. Charles Lindbergh, who is the champion of America first, which was the We Like, we like Hitler movement here in the United States. It's amazing. If you have HBO, check it out. But anyhow, back to Trump. Um, his campaign thinks he's already lost Michigan. They're worried about his ability to suppress the vote in both Wisconsin and Florida. Do you think he has a chance to win in November? And for that matter, do you think that the Republican Party is going to win? Well, apparently the folks over at FreedomWorks, I started out with my rant about FreedomWorks here. The Koch-funded, now it's got funny from other sources, but you know it was really kicked off by the Koch brothers. The FreedomWorks is who, who was you know, driving the Tea Party movement, and in some cases renting these $300,000 buses to move Tea Partiers around so that they could have their very carefully staged anti-Obama and anti-Obamacare rallies so that the media would pay all kinds of attention to it and give them hundreds of millions, billions of dollars worth of free publicity, which is exactly what happened. Well, I got my email today from Adam Brandon, the president of FreedomWorks. Uh, Barney, Nancy Pelosi and the radical left are hell-bent on stealing the 2020 election. In fact, they're trying to sneak their universal mail-in voting scheme into the next trillion-dollar spending bill. Now, if you have a pencil or paper nearby, write down this phone number. This is the, free, this is the number FreedomWorks is passing out, 515-302-6463. So they say, call 515-302-6463 and tell your members of Congress to oppose Pelosi's plan to expand mail-in voting and steal the 2020 elections. Barney, it isn't just the Democrats in Congress supporting this nonsense. Liberal extremists like Michelle Obama, Rita Wilson, and Tom Hanks support it, too. Oh, my God, Tom Hanks? The entire DNC establishment knows if they can get this passed, it'll lead to massive voter fraud and help them win in November. That's why we've got to do everything we can to stop them. And, Barney, I'm counting on you to help FreedomWorks do it. Please call 515-302-6463. And tell your members of Congress to stop Nancy Pelosi from stealing the 2020 election by opposing their universal mail-in voting racket. So if you call that number, and I did this morning, uh, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. But if you call that number, you get this rant from FreedomWorks, and then they ask for your zip code. You plug in your zip code, and they actually connect you to your member of Congress. It's uh, very easy. It's very painless. And I think that you and I, and now FreedomWorks sent this out to millions and millions of Americans, and they're calling their, their members of Congress right now and saying, you know, don't let Nancy Pelosi steal the election with mail-in voting. Yeah, 515-302-6463. This is the FreedomWorks number that will get you to your member of Congress. You just have to listen to a little FreedomWorks rant that, if nothing else, will get your blood flowing if you haven't had enough exercise today. We'll be back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'll share their call with you, and we will pick up your calls right after this break. Coming up on the Science Revolution, as the Georgia governor rolled out a new death panel coronavirus plan, Dr. Andrew Glickson is here on the coronavirus versus climate extinction. While we're dealing with COVID-19, we're also hurtling toward extinction. Dr. Justin Frank drops by saying Trump could see dead bodies from coronavirus and just step over them. What? Also, Greg Palast explains the secret history of the Deepwater Horizon, BP's second blowout. It's the 10-year anniversary for Deepwater Horizon's debacle. Find the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. So here is how it works. If you call this uh, FreedomWorks number. Millions have lost jobs and millions more are under lockdown. The last thing we need right now is uncertainty in our elections. 
Right. That's exactly what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are trying to oh, create. Oh, no. She's trying to expand mail-in voting nationwide, Woo! opening up the 2020 election to fraud, manipulation, and even voter harassment. Oh, that's terrible. Don't let Nancy Pelosi steal the election. Call your members of Congress right now. Yes, Tell them yes, to stop this immediately. mail-in voting scam and protect your vote. Mail-in voting is a Please scam. Please enter your five-digit zip code to be connected. Please enter your five-digit zip code to be connected. Okay. If this is correct. Yes, it is. We'll now connect you to Ronald Wyden. Da -da -da. After your call My is senator. done, press star and we'll connect you to your next official. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that's how you do it. 515-302-6463. But anyhow, to your thoughts. Mike in Lomita, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom, you remember the Fire Sign Theater, that satirical comedy group from the 70s and 60s? My head is stuck in that one routine where they have the electoral candidate who, whose slogan is, I am not insane, and then they repeat, oh, yeah, Papoon. insane. Papoon yeah, for president, and, uh, not insane. Yeah. That's the other one. Yep. So of late, that has seemed to be particularly appropriate. And no matter how many people raise questions about uh, Biden's cognitive decline, all they have to do is play a tape of Trump and say, Biden's not insane. Yeah, I saw a uh, spoof Biden ad over the weekend and it had the Biden logo and underneath it said he won't inject you with bleach. <laughs> and meanwhile... <laughs> You know, just a, an indication of how low this country has come in the past 20 years of Reaganomics. Remember, after Hurricane Katrina, Americans who were desperate to stay alive were at the tender mercies of heck of a job brownie, the Arabian horse breeder flack. And today, Americans faced with disaster are at the tender mercies or of the leadership of a labradoodle breeder. So, I mean, that's a real decline. I mean, you can, the family can live off of a horse for a month, but how long is it going to, you know, last uh, with its only a labradoodle for your food supply? And I, I think the, uh, the result of all this is that many Americans are starting to realize that there are people who don't care whether they live and die, and those are the people who are in charge, supposedly, of protecting their lives. So now a lot of Americans are starting to understand what it's like to be a black American. Yeah, a lot of white Americans are starting to get that. That's been increasingly happening over the last decade, I think, but particularly in the last four or five years. Yeah, excellent point, Mike. Uh, well made. Thank you very much for the call. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, you know, maybe I'm in a bubble, but I speak to Trumpsters all day long and uh, people around, and very few of them have said they've changed their minds. I hear all kinds of back crazy stories. Yesterday I heard a story that Bill Gates in China created the COVID virus right. to reduce the world population. I hear all kinds of back crazy stories. And I just want to, you know, I read a book called The Deep State. It was written by a Republican operative someone that was in the Republican Party for you know, 30 years, and right before Donald Trump in 2014. And he said that Republicans think they have a cognitive dissonance. They believe that they once had power, whether it's true or not, and that they desperately have to get it back. So I think there's enough of them out there that, that are going to reelect them, and we're going to have a fascist state. Well, I think we're, we're already three-quarters of the way there. One of the things that really uh, amazed me about this show on HBO that Louise and I watched last night, The Plot Against America, was the basic banality of evil. And this is, you know, people think that, you know, fascism comes with some guy going, I am the great leader and you are doomed. It's not how it works. It, it looks like American government. And this movie does a brilliant job of, of showing that, of this TV series, Plot Against America. So we've got a new video up over at TomHartman.com, and this is about just a totally bizarre story about these three guys with no VA experience, uh, not even veterans, who are all big shots down at Mar-a-Lago that Donald Trump has put in charge of the Veterans Administration functionally. And their association, one of them is the head of Marvel Entertainment, their association with Johnson & Johnson and the New York Stock Exchange, and Johnson & Johnson, the big drug company, taking this very, very cheap chemical ketamine 
tweaking the molecule a little bit and rolling it out as a new anti-suicide drug, Spravato, that in clinical trials caused six people to die, three of them by suicide, and none of the people taking the placebo to die. And now Trump is telling the VA, you have to buy this highly inflated priced drug from Johnson & Johnson. And the Democrats want to know what's up with the VA crowd, guys. Check it out. It's at TomHartman.com. Uh, Tom Harbin here with you. We are uh, talking about the present state of our politics, I suppose, for lack of a better way to define it. Chuck and Cody, Wyoming. Hey, Chuck, what's on your mind? How's Wyoming? Uh, it's uh, not bad. Uh, it's uh, kind of kind of free of people. <laughs> <laughs> there you uh, go. What's up? Uh, well, Tom, first I want to thank you for all that you uh, think and say and do in, in your life and how much you're appreciated in this barren land of uh, Democrats here. Thank you. The thing I'm calling about, Tom, is your reference to that phone number for Freedom Works, and it got me kind of worried about how many people will be influenced enough on the Democrat side to call in and state that we agree that the post office should uh, nobody uh, be nobody. in charge of mail-in ballots? You know, mail-in nobody ballots. who's going to call that number as a consequence of hearing me talk about it is going to, you know, there may be a few right-wingers, I suppose, who are listening to the show, but, but by well, and large... Well, I, I mean, they're going to get the letter, aren't they? Or is that not true? No. No, if, oh. you, if you call the number, it just redirects to, uh, you know, it's they're using one of these... It's a 515 number. They're using one of these call... call uh, free conference call kind of thing. You know, they're using one of these computerized telephone systems. But so, you got yeah. a letter, didn't you? I got an email. You got, got an email because I'm and on their list. Their as or ex- actually, Barney Rubble got an email. But yeah. But won't all all of their people get that email and make that call? No, if you call the number, you're not going to get the email. No, I don't mean that. I mean the Freedom Works sent that email out. Oh yeah, this went out to their followers. entire email list. I I don't know how many people are on it, but you know it could be well, thousands. See, it the, could be millions. The number I'm concerned about is how many of them yeah. got that email. Well, that's that's many- why I was publicizing this because you know you've got people all over the country who and I probably should have stayed on the line and when Ron Wyden's office answered, asked them. Although you you have to clear this with people before you put them on the air when you're talking to an actual person, but right. you know ask them which office they're in because. My guess is that rather than just redirecting people to the uh, to the main numbers in Washington D.C., they may well be redirecting people to local office numbers. But I don't know. I you know I mean it would be a smart way to do it, where you're more well, likely I, to get a human being rather I, than a recording. I was just concerned that you know uh, I, I know there's more people than than there are in Wyoming that are watching you a lot more, but that the uh, ultimate tally of the phone calls would be eight hundred something. For yeah. them to stop this thing. Uh, from yeah, being I wouldn't worry about it, Chuck. 13, I wouldn't worry about it. It's not. It's, it, it's not. Do it. Yeah, they're, the point is, this is what they're up to. I mean, if you want to just call their office, the the regular office for for members of Congress, it's two zero two 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 four thirty one twenty one, and you can ask for your two senators and you can ask for your member of the House of Representatives. But I get your concerns, but I think they're overblown, respectfully. Chuck, thanks for the call. It's great to hear from you, David in Los Angeles. Hey, David, what's up? Well, good morning, Tom. And to answer the question as to whether or not Trump can get reelected, yes, right. I would submit to you, Tom, if we put policies and legislation above personalities, right, that Mm -hmm. definitely the type of um, legislation that Trump has been signing off on and the kinds of legislation that has been passed since this corona thing hit is things that Trump can sign off on all day long. And as you had started your program off with... uh, doing the math on what would have happened if they would have just dispersed the the funds to the people, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't do that, right? Right. But what they did do, it was legislation to which corporate America is quite pleased with. Wouldn't wouldn't that be so? 
as are very, very wealthy people. There's also there's another multi-billion dollar tax break tucked into this most recent 300 or 400 billion dollar bailout that everybody had to go back to Congress to sign. I mean, this is the price that Mitch McConnell charges. You know, if you want to help out average working Americans, you got to help out the billionaires, period, full stop. It's, and this, this is the problem with having Republicans control any one of the three branches of government. But I would submit to you, too, Tom, because you know, when I say legislation and policy above personality, that would also be above politics or political party, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if we look at this, we have, as you very well know, a corporate of the Democratic Party. Yeah, you're, uh, David, your, your voice just went super muffled. Yeah, David, I'm sorry, I can't understand what you're saying. But thank you for the call, and thanks for watching us on YouTube. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Angela in Cumming, Georgia. Hey, Angela, what's up? Yes, hi, Tom. Uh, My friends and I were having a discussion about the recent uh, polling data between Biden and Trump uh, in the battleground states. It's just eight points and less. And the fear that is striking in us when we came to the realization of what all of this means, the fear and, frankly, the uh, disgust, uh, as far as what, we're, what we came to the conclusion of, there is no way in the world, all things considered with Trump's handling of the coronavirus epidemic, everything else that he's done, there is no way, even without Biden doing a thing, that, this, that the race should be this close. There's no way, way in the world. This, it's the Fox effect, I'm sorry? It's the Fox effect. It's the combined power of Fox News, billionaire-owned Fox News, and billionaire-owned and programmed right-wing radio all across the United States. You've got millions, tens of millions of people, maybe as many as 100 million people, who are getting most of their news every day from right-wing talk radio or from Fox News. And that's the only reason Trump is where he is. I appreciate that, but when you look at the percentage of the Fox audience compared to the overall population of the uh, of the white uh, population, uh, that does not account for it being that close. His numbers are not that close because of African Americans, Native Americans, Mexican, Hispanic Americans, Jewish Americans, Muslim Americans. No other major group is keeping it that close. If anything, our polling would be. Uh, 80 to 90 percent um, for Biden. The gap would be that close. Sure. Uh, now, there's one thing and one thing only that's keeping him that close, and it is, as a group, white people, and that's not just the Fox uh, crowd. Mm-hmm. That is, in general, white people are not being truthful despite everything that they're saying. They are not being truthful with what they really feel. I think that they should look in the mirror and have a true come-to-Jesus moment about what those numbers say about white people in general. This is not close because of just the Fox crowd. It is not. There's no explanation for it. But I'll end by saying this. We should have a meme of six that says six to three. This should be all over the Internet, six to three. And what I mean by that is with the Supreme Court, if we let this monster back in, if we do not get him out, we're looking at best at the Supreme Court being a, a five to four court now in terms of the conservatives. Ruth Bader Ginsburg will not last another four years. That means we are looking at a six to three court. Our country is doomed. We should make that meme all over the country, say it at the end of every broadcast. Six to three should strike fear. I see fear in the hearts of every American. Our country will be doomed with a six to three conservative court. And that's my that's what I had to say. Okay, let me give you two data points that I think support your contention, although I continue to believe that right wing hate radio and Fox News have a have a huge role in this because they're basically promoting the memes that I'm going to mention here. The first is, in 2009, we got our first black president. And coincidentally, the right went insane. You had right-wing billionaires funding the Tea Party movement. You had people like Donald Trump saying that he wasn't an American citizen. It turned into a national debate and discussion, which is insane. You know, uh, is he actually a U.S. citizen? All this kind of stuff. Is he secretly a Muslim? It was insane, and it was all about race. 
And then second, data point number one. And, and I think that that is a large part of what brought us Donald Trump was that white right wing backlash. And frankly, the complicity of whites who are not, you know, getting into the fray and say, no, we're going to push back against that insane backlash. And then number two, about three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, I don't know, I, I do time very poorly, Angela. I can't keep track of time in my head. But a couple of weeks ago, it started getting widely reported in the media I mean, it was all over the media and it was rather sudden. It just happened like it it just got turned on and off. You know, all of a sudden it got turned on that blacks were dying disproportionate to whites of COVID-19. That 30, 35 percent of the of the infections were black people. Seventy percent of the deaths were black people. And within a day of that happening, you had the right wing billionaires through Freedom Works and these other right wing groups mobilizing white guys with Confederate flags showing up and saying, open the economy. And I think that the reason why is because they thought, oh, white people don't die from this, just black people. Okay, cool. Well, let's kill them all off. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I agree with, as a matter of fact, even before I saw that on your show, uh, we had said the same thing. We, we, we're seeing all of the same data. We're talking a lot amongst ourselves. And no doubt, this is what's motivated. But, but to me, that, that proves my point. That goes more to my point. There is just such an unspoken amount of racism in this country that even for a person like Trump, even for a person like Trump, despite everything, he would be that close. And those numbers have to be, and we're talking about battleground states. At this point, as you mentioned, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton's gap between Trump and herself was even greater. What does that say? What does that yeah, say? It's a real about problem. I think, I think what it. I think what it emphasizes is what Sir Edmund Burke said back in the 18th or the 1790s, which was that for evil to triumph, it's only necessary that good people do nothing. And that's something that I think that we saw in the 2016 election. A lot of white people who you know, wouldn't have agreed with Donald Trump, but thought, eh, uh, didn't show up. And they have to figure out that this election is, as you said, you know, with the Supreme Court and everything else, this is going to define the fate and future of America and whether America becomes essentially a fascist nation. Angela, thank you. And fascism has almost always got a racial component to it. It may not be race the way that we think of it in the United States, but Hitler certainly thought that Jews were a race. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And promoted his candidacy that way as well, as, long, as well as his, uh, his god-awful VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Our book today is How to Be Less Stupid About Race by Crystal M. Fleming. This is from the introduction, The Origins of Racial Stupidity. It opens with an epigraph from Martin Luther King Jr. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn. From the introduction. Hundreds of years after establishing a nation on colonial genocide and chattel slavery, people are kind of sort of maybe possibly waking up to the sad reality that our racial politics are still garbage. But as our society increasingly confronts the social realities of race, we're faced with a barrage of confusing developments. How could the same country that voted twice for an Ivy League educated black president end up electing an overt racist who can barely string together two coherent sentences? Why do white liberals who can't even confront their Trump supporting friends and families think that they can lead the resistance? Democrats who don't care about mass deportations or the treatment of Muslims under Obama suddenly care now that a Republican is in charge. While black and brown people are being crushed by systemic white supremacy, the rapper Common thinks we can all get over a race by extending a hand in love. Don Lemon still has a job. Rachel Dolezal exists. Everyone has an opinion about race, but 99% of the population has never studied it. And even many textbooks that talk about race are filled with lies, inaccuracies, and so-called alternative facts. With so much racial ignorance in the world, how can we ever find our way to that glorious mountaintop Martin Luther King Jr. glimpsed right before a white racist killed him? 
Although race is an inherently divisive topic, the cause of continual controversy, Facebook feuds, and endless debates, there is exactly one thing and one thing only that we can probably all touch and agree on, regardless of our racial or ethnic identity, gender, age, political beliefs, or shoe size. And that is that we are surrounded by racial stupidity. From the White House to Waffle House, from the classroom to the internet comments section, from the television to the tiki torch aisle of your local Pier 1, we are surrounded and at a times astounded by the ignorant and dangerous ideas people express about this thing called race. Why are so many people so incredibly confused and misinformed about race? It's the white supremacy, stupid. As I'll demonstrate throughout this book, one of the main consequences of centuries of racism is that we are all systemically exposed to racial stupidity and racist beliefs that warp our understandings of society, history, and ourselves. In other words, living in a racist society socializes us to be stupid about race. Of course, as you well know, some people are more afflicted by racial stupidity than others. We'll get into the nature of those variations a bit later. For now, I want to emphasize just how widespread and ubiquitous racial ignorance really is. Politicians routinely spout racist distortions of reality and lie about the existence and nature of racial oppression. Absurd racial stereotypes pervade our various forms of media. And as noted, textbooks systemically misrepresent racial history in ways that minimize or erase racism altogether. And all too often, teachers themselves are undereducated or miseducated about the history and ongoing realities of racial oppression. How to Be Less Stupid About Race explores precisely how and why racial stupidity has become so terribly pervasive and examines the cesspool of silly ideas, half-truths, and ridiculous misperceptions that have thoroughly corrupted the way race and racism are represented in the classroom, pop culture, media, and politics. The key idea that I'll come back to again and again is that living in a racist society exposes us all to absurd and actually harmful ideas that in turn help maintain the racial status quo. Drawing from my own experience as an educator and as someone who continually confronts my own racial ignorance, I'll also share some concrete steps that you, as well as your racist friends, ignorant family members, and clueless co-workers can take to become less stupid about race and better equipped to detect and dismantle racial oppression. While I don't personally believe in post-racial utopias and I don't put a lot of faith in reaching glorious mountaintops, I know for sure that the very first step in challenging racism is having a clear understanding of what it actually is. Not only are we surrounded by stupid ideas about race, we are even surrounded by stupid ideas about how to talk about race. In May 2015, Starbucks launched a doomed campaign called Race Together to encourage baristas and coffee drinkers around the country to have a conversation about race. Although many might have mistaken the campaign for a satirical entry on The Onion, Starbucks announced that its employees had the option of arbitrarily writing the hashtag race together on a random customer's cup. Aspiring coffee drinkers minding their own damn business would then be obliged to say something to the barista about race. After a steady stream of criticism and mockery on social media by anti-racists across the color spectrum, yours truly included, the company eventually backpedaled and canceled the initiative. To some, encouraging random people to talk about race sounds like a step in the right direction. But we don't need more profit-driven corporations to take a stand and say that race is a legitimate and important topic of discussion. Rather than thinking about the best practices that might foster a productive discussion about race, the company executives thought best to just sort of tell everyone to figure it out without providing any educational resources, training, or guidelines whatsoever. In a letter to employees, Starbucks chairman Howard Schultz stated that he conceived of the idea, quote, not to point fingers and not because we have answers, but because staying silent is not who we are. How to be less stupid about race by Crystal Fleming. Don in uh, Seattle, Washington. Hey, Don, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Facebook Hi. Live. Yes, um, you, you continually say um, mind-boggling, and that's where I say it's mind-boggling that so many people support Trump and their Republicans and their horrible policies. Well, one thing that the um, Democrats could do better, of course, is messaging. They, they seem pretty helpless mm -hmm. in, in that data. But in particular, they, why don't they hold congressional hearings about um, vote suppression? You know, our Greg Palace and others have documented 
to mm-hmm. vote suppression and out- outright fraud. A lot yep. of evidence for that in all sorts of states, uh, you know, Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio. Um, and why don't the Democrats have congressional hearings? They can subpoena people, and Trump can't claim executive privilege to stop it. Yeah. And the, and the second thing yeah. I want to say is that a huge, huge swath of progressive, like progressive anti war leftist friends, hate the Democrats and they, they ridicule Russians. They say, ah, it's just a bunch of. Yeah, Don, your phone is really badly distorted, and I'm only catching about every other word of what you're saying. But I get it that there are divisions on the left. And this is part of the problem that the Democrats have in terms of messaging, is there is a very large corporate faction in the Democratic Party, and there's a very large progressive faction in the Democratic Party, and they disagree on policy, and they disagree on positioning, and they disagree on issues. The Republican Party has become largely homogenous. It's, it's become, you know, a single thing or heterogeneous, I guess is the word. But the Democratic Party is like an assemblage of coalitions, which is unfortunate. Will in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Will, what's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to call to uh, mention that something needs to be done about the Electoral College. After the yes. uh, election in uh, 2016, where Hillary Clinton got 66 million and Trump got 63 million, then a big uproar for most people again. But Nobody really realizes how wide a margin there could potentially be and the person with a losing amount of votes become president. So I said, all right, what if every single blue state, Oregon, Washington, et cetera, voted 100 percent Hillary Clinton? Hillary would have got 88 million votes out of the 130 cast. Then it would have been 67 percent for Clinton, yet because of the Electoral College and the winner-take-all system. Trump would have been president. Right. And additionally, if then each red state had gone for Trump by only one vote, so 50-50, she would have received about 93 million votes against Trump's 37 million, and still Trump would have become president. So this is a huge disparity, potential disparity. It is disparity. not small-D Democratic. And this is why fairvote.org lays out this coalition of states who are all going to throw their electoral votes to whoever wins the majority of the popular vote, the national popular vote campaign. Mm. And it's the only way that I can see to do it, but it's still going to require, it still requires a couple of big states. And we've got to flip those states out of Republican control in this election here this fall so that we can kill the Electoral College. Right now, Republicans control too many states to make that happen. So that's, that's what needs to happen. If you want all the information, I'm pretty sure it's over at fairvote.org. Did you know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president in 1980 and George Herbert Walker Bush was in on it and he avoided being prosecuted for this in 1992 with a little help from Bill Barr? It's on page 116 of my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Claire in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Claire, what's up? Uh, that wonderful guy that wants to get involved, he could move mm-hmm. here and be in my precinct, but okay. I have some bullet points for what he can do Okay, if he wants to do this. Okay, number one. If I could just set this party. up. We had a caller who said, how do I become a precinct committee person? How do yeah. I get inside the party? You're calling right. to tell us how to do it. Okay. Exactly. Go for it. Of course, first of all, these days, go to the county party website, get in touch with them, Ask them what they need. Now, you hit that a little bit. But while you're with them, ask about the grassroots organizations, because that's your social and informational network. That's how you get to know people from all over the county. We have about 15 here in Fort Worth. Visit them all. Find out your best fit. The number three thing is indivisible. Indivisible is all over the country. They're incredible. And there should be an indivisible group out there, wherever that guy is. Then, of course, volunteer for a campaign, whether it's dog catcher all the way up to president. They need volunteers, block walkers and stuff. Donate money, go to fundraisers, buy stuff at a silent auction. Now, they can also, here in Texas, a person would go to the county convention, the precinct's caucus, and they write things they want to put in rules and all those other things. And then the whole convention will vote on the things they want to send to state, rewrite them and such. Then 
you can run to go to the state convention, which is usually not a problem. We never fill our slots. You can join those committees, volunteer to help, do anything that you want that they need. And they need everything from people to fold chairs to people to greet at the table, to be on committees, everything. And those there's many, many more ways, but these are the ones that are happening here. And That's great. So, Claire, I have a question for you. Now, sure. assuming that the coronavirus doesn't go away soon, and I personally, yeah. I think it's going to be with us probably for the rest of human history. It's just going to become one of those diseases that we learn to deal with the way we have, you know, measles and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But in mm-hmm. any case, now that we are social distancing, you're a precinct committee person in Fort Worth, Texas. How are you all dealing with this and how do people interact with their county Democratic parties if, they, if there's not a meeting to go to? Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of virtual stuff. I feel mm-hmm. fairly certain we're going to do a Zoom or something similar when we have our next county executive committee meeting, which is all the precinct chairs. The grassroots groups are Facebooking, Facebook groups, Zoom groups at every level, social. We have a big a committee for each house district that works with all mm-hmm. the precincts within that house district, state house. And there's virtual meetings there indivisibles all over the internet and you can get people out. we're making phone calls and writing postcards because we can't knock on doors yeah that's great so, claire thank yeah, you so much those kinds you. Of things. I, I need to move along but thank you so much for sharing that information that was brilliant We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 